You're listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts, powered by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast election series. Joining us to talk about her campaign for lieutenant governor in the Republican primary coming up on September 6th before November's general election is Kate Campanelli. Campanelli most recently taught in the Spencer East Brookfield School District. Prior to that, she spent two terms as a state representative for the 17th Worcester District and was a member of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee during the duration of her time on Beacon Hill. Campanelli began her career in 2007 in the Legislative and Regulatory Department for the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation down in Washington, D.C. She also spent time as a Business Development Coordinator at Tudor Perini Corporation, and she served as the District Liaison to Peter Durant, a politician. Kate, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing great, Travis. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So why do you want to run for Lieutenant Governor now? You know, it is such a great opportunity for us. Um, You know, I think many of us would have liked to see Charlie and Karen run for a third term. Um, Unfortunately, they're not. And, you know, we, we need to keep the direction of Massachusetts going forward. And um, when you mentioned Karen Polito, I just think of the similarities. You're both from a similar part of the state. Uh, we could see some more representation from North Central Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, I think that's that would be fantastic. That's what my focus. You know, I'm growing up here in in Worcester County and being from Worcester. Uh, you know, it's a uh, it's home for me. Now, I mentioned a little bit about your background during the introduction, but can you tell us uh, briefly about how that background has prepared you to run for the seat of lieutenant governor? Sure. You know, uh, Travis, it was a great introduction. Thank you. Um, But I'm coming into this race with over 10 years of experience in government from the legislative side. As you mentioned, I started off working in D.C. and then as a state representative, you know, running and Frankly, as a Republican, a very Democratic district, I think I can prove that I can work with both sides to successfully get things done. And that's something I want to carry over into the role of lieutenant governor. Um, And, you know, bringing that experience after I left the legislature, I was in the classroom, as you had mentioned, teaching. So I see firsthand what's going on in our in our schools. And this is a, a focus for for me and, and for my running mate, Chris Doty. Now you had said you'd like to keep the state moving forward. So if you're elected, mm-hmm. what would be your first priority as Lieutenant Governor to keep the state moving forward? You know, um, looking at it, I, I think, um, and I'm speaking for Chris and I, Chris Doty and I, we're looking for, at getting back to the basics. You know, it's affordability in Massachusetts. It's local aid and making sure that our cities and towns are getting the resources they need to keep the vital services running, such as uh, police, you know, uh, fire, public safety. Those are top priorities for us. And and again, focusing on education, uh, being in the classroom and and seeing, you know, our teachers are overwhelmed, our students are falling behind. You know, these are two years that they can't get back. And I think we really need to focus on getting back to the basics in the classroom, reading, writing, arithmetic, in order to catch up and also be competitive. It, once we graduate high, once our children graduate high school, you know, we're looking at, at China surpassing us and and other countries, and we we really need to focus on 
making sure our children's education is is a successful one. And you talk about when those children uh, get past high school, and I think of challenges to the labor market involving uh, graduates. Mm-hmm. You know, as we enter 2022, we're continuing to see uh, that great resignation continuing. How would you recommend that the next administration, uh, the team that you're running with, uh, mm-hmm. you and Dowdy, would address the this issue uh, of this tight labor market? Sure. You know, the pandemic, we have seen that the past two years have fundamentally changed the way we work, the way we do things in a lot of ways. We're seeing so much, you know, the great resignation, it can be looked at in a few different ways. People are are getting burnt out. You know, from our healthcare workers, from our teachers, to other people that have been on the front line for the past two years. And how do we backfill those positions? Also, we see it's devastating to see so many small businesses, so many restaurants. We, we all know probably a handful that we can count on our, on our hand that have gone out of business during this pandemic. What about them? What about the small businesses and, and their staff? How can we transfer those skills into jobs that are available today? So I think that's what we're looking at. You know, we see that our labor market here in Massachusetts, we've lost hundreds of thousands of people in the labor market. So how do we get them reskilled? How do we match them to the right position in business? And I think we have to get creative in a lot of ways. You know, um, someone who may have been a waitress, has great customer service skills. And when we look at the needs of where the jobs are, maybe it's such as banking or finance, we could put them in a position there They have that is a customer service focused position. So we really need to be creative working with employers to say, hey, you know, take a look at, at this person's skills, maybe not what they've done, and how can we transfer them into this position and make it successful for for both the employer and the employee. And I know the pandemic has come up a few times in the conversation already. I want to talk about mm-hmm. the uh, the current administration's handling of the pandemic. Um, how would you kind of rate that or, or say that the Baker administration has been doing? And if you're elected as part of the next administration, what would you recommend is done differently? Right. Uh, you know, that's a, a question where we've been asked a lot <laughs> since starting this. And, it, you know, it's so hard coming into this pandemic it's something no one could plan for, right? None of us knew how to handle this at first. So we did the best we could with the information we had. And I think that's what our leaders here in Massachusetts did. However, as we're coming out of the pandemic right now, there's still, there's a lot we can look at as far as what we did right, what we did wrong, what did other states do right? What could we have done differently and what can we do differently going forward? So, you know, to it's hard to look back and say at the beginning, all of this was done wrong because we didn't know. There were a lot of unanswered questions. But as we move forward, I think we can look to other states that may have recovered faster than us and say, okay, how did, how did they recover three months faster than us in certain industries? What did they do right? And take a look at that data as we're, again, as we're coming out of this, I think we're going to learn a lot more and use those as best practices and examples. 
What do you recommend that we do to ensure equitable recovery, especially among some of our underserved populations who've been disproportionately affected, whether it's a small business or individual families? Exactly. You know, as you said, small businesses have been disproportionately affected. Women have been especially um, affected by this pandemic. You see that it's affected more than 50% of women than men. And why is this? You know, is this because of, you know, schooling? You know, we can see so much happen every day, you know, in the schools. We didn't know if our children were going to school one day, if they were going to be remote the next day. Were they exposed? And now I have to take two weeks off of work. You know, so how did that affect working families? We also have to look regionally, too. As you mentioned, you know, different areas, different demographics have been affected differently by this pandemic. You know, Lawrence, for instance, has one of the highest unemployment rates. Worcester also versus, you know, maybe some of the suburban cities and towns surrounding Boston or Metro West. So we can look at gateway cities need different attention than some of our suburban cities and towns. So that's something we we really need to look at as we're coming out of this. And when you talk about those gateway cities, I know Fitchburg is a gateway city, and we look at Fitchburg and also Leominster and Gardner. Pandemic aside, um, those three cities have yet to reach their full economic potential. Um, what else should the state be doing to ensure that cities like ours here in North Central Massachusetts are, reach that full economic potential that we see in Boston and those Metro West communities, which you referenced? Mm-hmm. I see that we need to make sure that we're investing in our workforce development, making sure we're providing upskilling, whether that's um, from high school age or whether that's adult learning, making sure that we're giving people in these areas the skills they need to get good jobs. I think we also need to invest economically as well. Um, you know, how how we can help businesses bring on employers. You know, maybe there could be an incentive program as far as, okay, if you can bring on this employee and train them, mostly like an apprenticeship program, well then once you train them, they go through the training program and you onboard them and hire them, maybe there's an incentive there that the state could give. You know, um, so I think there's, there's ways we can work with businesses and work with employees that are looking for for jobs and getting them into a good career. And when we talk about careers and jobs, um, oftentimes we hear that transportation, especially up here in North Central Massachusetts, can act as a barrier. Um, What do you believe the state needs to do to address ongoing transportation issues, whether it's Route 2, uh, whether it's just someone needing more public transit to get back and forth to their job? Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly. This is, you know, and we can talk about this, right? Workforce is holistic in that way, right? We need to look at housing and making sure that's affordable. We need to make sure people have the means to get to work, whether that is public transportation or we're looking now at such high gas prices, whether it's people just going back and forth to work or they have to travel for work. You know, a lot of um, self-contractors who travel. So we do have to look at this holistically and what we can do. Um, as far as public transportation, it's we have to make sure that we're meeting the needs 
of the workers, you know, can we look at our the schedules? What's going, how many, our ridership, and making sure we can match those with the needs of the both employers and employees. While we're on the subject of employers and employees, um, one of the biggest things that we've seen for issues for small businesses has to do with the unemployment insurance trust fund. Uh, this was exacerbated by the pandemic, but there were ongoing issues with the system beforehand. Um, the We did see ARPA funds um, appropriated to this issue, but what would you propose for the next administration do as a more long-term solution? Sure. Um, yes, this is a, a big concern. And when we look at Massachusetts, we have one of the highest benefits for uh, for unemployment, you know, and how has that affected people going back to work? I think we do have to look at that and also the burden that it puts on our businesses. So, um, as a long-term goal, I think we do have to look at the unemployment trust fund, what we can, working with businesses, make this more affordable and also look at our benefit structure and how is it realistic, how that's comparing with other states and what we're doing to make sure people on unemployment are going back to work. And what are the things we could do to ensure that? I mean, do we look at changing different requirements? Is that something that needs to be examined? I think so, you know, I think we're doing a good job with requirements. You know, maybe we do, it is something we do have to look at. But I know right now there we're working with if you're on an unemployment that you're making sure you visit a mass hire center, you're getting those those skills and and help you need, whether that's resume building, interview skills, um, help with job placement, job fairs. Now, there's so many resources we're offering right now, and it's trying to educate the job seekers that these resources are out there. They're here for you to use. And also we need to make sure employers are aware of them as well and, and, and make that connection. So I think it's um, a, a bit of an education campaign as well. Now the Baker administration announced that they'd be working towards zero carbon emissions by 2050. Is that the right approach to address climate change? You know, there's, we do have to address climate change. I do think that it does have to be gradual I, I don't like putting dates to things because um, we don't, I think it, it may set up a, you know, maybe a, a I don't want to say a falsehood, but I, I think it just puts an arbitrary date on things. But I do think we need to look at it moving forward. We can look at different alternatives. And I do agree that this has to be gradual. We look at things happening today. One of the big concerns for I know a lot of small businesses when you hear about climate change and, and this new 2050 date is how can we do this in a way that's affordable? Uh, you mentioned a gradual rollout, but what else, what other ideas um, do you have if you're part of the next administration to ensure that it is an affordable approach to cl addressing climate change? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, I, and I see this um, especially on on the other side, you know, there there's a more of an immediate need, there's more of an immediate push. And it's putting when businesses hear climate change and getting to these certain dates, right off the top of your head, your red flags go up saying, Oh, God, what new regulations are, am I going to have to put on my business? And how much is this going to cost? What well, you know, why am I still doing business in Massachusetts? <laughs> so I, I do think 
we do need to look at that, work with the business community. But as far as making it gradual and affordable, I think we need to look at resources that we have here. You know, Massachusetts, unfortunately, isn't energy independent, but I think we can revisit things such as the hydroelectric um, hydroelectric line coming down from Canada. That's a, an affordable, natural resource that we can use to bring our energy prices down. Here in North Central Massachusetts, uh, tourism very important to the area, and, and Massachusetts in general, tourism is the third largest industry. Uh, but for some reason, we always find that when you look at the whole country, Massachusetts often falls at the bottom of the pack, though, when it comes to tourism funding. As we look to rebound from the pandemic and folks start to travel again and continue to want to get out there and explore, how would you help the region and the state capitalize on tourism to better compete with other states that are also trying to grow their market share at our Commonwealth's expense? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great question, question, Travis. You know, talking to people, and, and I, I've just had this conversation yesterday, they're, they're trying to plan vacations. They don't necessarily want to leave the state, but stay in the area. They're looking at the Cape. They can't even afford it. You know, so what can we do to to bring in people, tourists to the state or even just our own uh, our own constituency here in Massachusetts to say, hey, these are other options that are more affordable. We don't have to go to the Cape. It's very expensive. Here's here are some other options. I think. Um, it, to be honest, you you do a great job as a chamber of commerce to uh, promote your businesses there. But as a state, I can see that we could do more education, do more promotion around what there is to offer in other parts, because I think we are too focused sometimes on the coast versus coming out west here. So shifting kind of the marketing approach from a cod centric to more of other assets. Absolutely. We have so much to offer out here. Um, you know, it's a beautiful part of the state and, you know, you know, from historical sites, hiking, uh, the, the everything we have so much to offer. So I would, I would love to see that promoted. Now, you mentioned that you're running alongside uh, Chris Dowdy, kind of po positioning yourself as a, a kind of two-for-one ticket. Sure. If you had 60 seconds to convince me or to convince the listeners out there um, that why, when they head to the polls in September for the Republican primary on September 6th, why they should choose uh, you two as the ticket, uh, what would you say? And we're actually going to put you on the clock starting right now. Okay. Well, we're, Chris and I are the team that can be um, – that can win – this November. Chris has a, a background of executive experience. He's been a, in the manufacturing industry here in Massachusetts, writing, creating jobs, writing the front of paychecks, understands those burdensome regulations here in Massachusetts, and he's been able to make quality, affordable products in the manufacturing industry in Massachusetts. I come from the legislative side. Uh, being on Ways and Means, working with constituents in cities and towns. And I think together we make a great team. We're very compatible. And Chris is the leader that we need to come out of this pandemic, someone who is compassionate, 
thoughtful and firm in his decisions. Why so early in the campaign did you decide to partner uh, with Chris and kind of run together? I know with him, you really announced your campaign right out the gate as saying, I'm partnering with Chris. That was the big campaign announcement. So what spurred that decision? You know, um, I, I said, I met with Chris and as soon as I sat down with him, I could just tell he is a man of incredible character. He just has, he's very intelligent. He has this honest compassion about him and really this pursuit to help improve the lives of the people around him. And he's proven that in his business uh, as an employer, he's proven that outside in his personal endeavors. So he's just a man of great character. He's very thoughtful and he appreciates differences of opinion. So I, and which is extremely important. And I think these are the qualities we look for in a leader and in our next governor. So I was, I'm very proud to be, be running along with Chris. And do you think that decision to kind of pair up and announce this joint effort to get into Beacon Hill this September and then in November, I kind of set you apart from the rest of the candidates on, on both sides of the party? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I do. Because it shows that we're, we're a strong team, that we're already working together. And, you know, it shows that we have, um, you know, our message is resonating with people and we're, we're coming out of the gate strong and, and ready to run. And we're the, puts us at the, at the, the ticket to beat. <laughs> now for listeners that want more information about your campaign, Kate, where can they go? Sure. Thank you. Uh, you can go to Kate for LG. That's F O R lg.com. Uh, that's my campaign website. So you can find out some more information about me or look me up on Facebook. This has been another election series episode of the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. I'd like to thank Kate Campanelli for taking the time out of her busy schedule to join us to talk about her platform as a Republican candidate in the race for lieutenant governor. The primary is scheduled for September 6th and the general election is scheduled for November 8th. Kate, thank you so much for your time. Okay, Travis, I I really appreciate it. And thank you for you and for everything the Chamber does. You've been listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts. This podcast is produced by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. For more information on this episode, links to other episodes, or if you have any questions, please visit northcentralmass.com.